get that uh, you can get more information about BVS right out in the lobby. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. This morning we're uh, going to continue Mike's study in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember that we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And this particular week, our subject is going to be light. Light appears throughout Scripture as a measure of spiritual health. And we see uh, the Lord Jesus repeatedly use it. In Luke 18, uh, 16, 8, Jesus calls you and me sons of light. Even before this point in the sermon, in chapter 5, in verse 14, he tells us, you are the light of the world. And so we come to this passage this morning that is in context sandwiched between two passages that have to do with setting our priorities. Setting our priorities, as Mike taught us last week, with regard to uh, rewards, and as we'll learn next week, making a choice between whom we're going to serve. Is it going to be God or is it going to be riches? And so as we look at this passage, let's begin by just getting an overview, just reading the two verses. I'm going to use an outline that I first saw used by Robert Gulick in his book in the Sermon on the Mount, and he separates these two verses as actually a separate little sermon within the sermon. First of all, we have the fact. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And then given this fact, he makes... Jesus makes an observation. So then, if your eye is, and my translation says clear, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, here's the conclusion, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, notice we said this passage was sandwiched between two having to do with treasure, having to do with serving God versus riches, and we don't see anything about riches in this passage. Let's just wait a few minutes, and maybe we will. So let's begin to look at this passage piece by piece. The first thing, let's consider the fact. The eye is the lamp. Of the body. You might notice if you just go back from verse 22 to verse 21 that Jesus was speaking of the heart. He was talking about the heart being <clears throat> the location of our treasure. I'm turning to Psalm 119. I just want to make a point about the relationship between the heart and our eyes. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says in verse 10, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. And then just a few verses later in verse 18 he says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. The heart first and then the eyes, but in both cases the psalmist is speaking of 
some revelation that will lead to obedience to our part. The relationship between the two is that if either is open, it gives us insight into the inner man. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, the eye is the lamp of the body? Notice he says it is the lamp of the body, not the lamp for the body. While we're in Psalm 119, if you just turn over to verse 105, you'll see a verse that's familiar to us. Your, <clears throat> your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There, the word is a lamp to my body, showing me the way to walk in a, in a clear path. It's a true statement, but it's not what Christ Jesus is speaking of in Matthew chapter 6. Here he says, it is the lamp of the body. Notice that Jesus says in verse 23, he wants to talk about the light that is in us. And so, as we begin to consider what Christ Jesus is trying to teach at this point, we need to realize that it could be one of two things. He could be talking about light coming in and illuminating our body, Or he could be talking about light that shows the character of our body. Which is it? We need to move on to the observation. And notice what he says in the observation. He says, So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If we can discover nothing else, there are two facts that we can be fairly certain that Jesus is trying to say here. One is that somehow the health of our body, our spiritual body, depends on light. And the second thing we can understand is that the light that enters us has something to do with the health of our eyes. And therein lies the problem. I've got a separate slide set up that shows you two possibilities for interpreting this passage because commentators seem to be split right down the middle. Now let me go ahead and give you the bottom line. I'm going to walk through each of these possible interpretations. Each one of them is going to have a weakness But in the end, what we will see is they both essentially say the same thing. So first, let's consider the possibility that what Jesus is speaking of here is illumination. That if light enters through a clear eye, a clear eye is the translation that I have in the New American Standard. The Greek word is haplous. It means Single, simple, single-minded. So what we might read is, if, I, if my eye is focused on kingdom things, then there will be illumination in my body. If, on the other hand, the other word, the word translated bad, is the word poneros. Poneros means... Uh, in a troubled state. 
It means miserable. It means bad. It can even mean evil. So if my eye is in a troubled state, then my body is full of darkness. How might that be? Let me give you just sort of an expanded translation here. If my focus is on things of the kingdom, then my body will be illuminated. If, however, instead of being single-minded, my eye is double-minded, then we know from the letter of James that a double-minded person is unstable. And that instability is just going to lead to darkness in my body. So there's one possible interpretation. The problem is that the opposite of haplus, single-minded, is not normally bad or troubled. The opposite would be double-minded. So there is another possible thought about what Jesus is actually saying here. A secondary meaning of the word haplus is generous. I'm just going to turn over to Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. Paul is speaking of how a healthy exhibit of the spiritual gifts in my life ought to operate. And in verse 8 he says, He who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality. And the word translated liberality there is just the noun form of this Greek word haplus. James chapter 1 verse 5, James says, But if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all generously. That's the same word as an adverb. And so it is possible for this word also to mean generous. Well, if a clear eye is a generous eye, then what is a bad eye? I'm turning to Matthew chapter 20. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because uh, this is in Matthew. So eventually we'll get to it. Uh, But I do want to just kind of give you an overview to to look at one verse. Matthew chapter 20, we have the parable of um, the workers in the vineyard. And you remember that the owner of the vineyard goes out and he's hiring men all day. And then when it comes time to pay, he pays everybody the same amount. And the folks that have worked all day begin to grumble. Down in verse 15... The master answers them, it is, not law, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious? And the literal translation is, is your eye evil? And it is this word, poneros. It is a Hebrew idiom that generosity means a good eye. Stinginess or envy means a bad or an evil eye. So the second translation we might have to this is, if you are about the things of the kingdom, then, and notice above us and below us, we're talking about wealth and riches, then you will be generous. But if not, you'll be stingy. The trouble is that most places where this idiom occurs, the comparison is between a good and an evil eye, not between a clear and an evil eye. 
What's happening? The first thing you and I have to remember is we are looking back 2,000 years to something that Jesus said in the first century. He said it in either Hebrew or Aramaic. It's now been translated at least once and possibly twice before we receive it in our copy of the Scripture. And so, although his first century hearers would, would know exactly what he meant, you and I may have a little confusion. But let's not forget that essentially what Jesus is saying in either interpretation is the same thing. If you have kingdom focus, then your body is illuminated through a clear eye and you will be, with regard to things of money, generous. If, on the other hand, you are not focused on kingdom things, then the chances are that things that come in are cloudy, your eye is bad, and you will suffer envy or even worse. I thought that was the hard part. But now we come to the hard part of this passage. And that is the application or the conclusion that Jesus reaches from what he has said. We are just going to leave what he has said as we did and celebrate the richness of the Hebrew language. And we're going to move on and try to figure out how we can apply it to our lives in this last phrase. The last thing Jesus says is this. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. First, what is the light that is in you? I'm going to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is giving us, he's telling us don't have fellowship with unbelievers. And he's giving us pairs of competing or opposite Things. And notice what he says. I'm, I'm reading in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? I take it from these comparisons that the light that is in me is equivalent to saying Christ in me. It is that that I get as being a citizen of his kingdom. Now here's the rub. How can light be darkness? He says, if the light that is in you is darkness... How great is the darkness. I'd like to spend the rest of our time trying to convince you that what Jesus means there is yes, light can be darkness if the light is counterfeit. We know that Satan, the prince of darkness, according to 2 Corinthians 11.14, can disguise himself as what? An angel of of light. And so I take it that what Christ Jesus speaks of here when he talks about a light that is darkness is counterfeit light. 
I'd like to dig into this just a little with two passages. If you'll go to John chapter 9, you might remember in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who, has, who was born blind. The man runs into trouble after the healing with the authorities. And so Jesus, as we continue chapter 9, searches this man out. He speaks to the man. The man confesses his belief in Christ Jesus and begins to worship him. And then as we pick up the story in verse 39 of John chapter 9, Jesus says this, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Seems like the same sort of what in the world does he mean there that we're seeing in Matthew chapter 6. And the answer is given if we look at the next two verses. Because when Jesus said this, he had an audience. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And we don't know for sure the Pharisees may have been trying to trick Christ Jesus because if he said they were blind, he's essentially saying they cannot be held accountable for their sin. But instead, he turns their own words on them. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. What did the Pharisees have? The Pharisees had counterfeit light. They had a light that they had created on their own that led them, they thought, along the right path, a path of legalism. And Jesus says, no, you're missing me. You're blind. When Lynn and I lived in Tulsa, we had uh, this couple friend, friends, and uh, they were married, and both of them were blind. Now, this led to some sort of interesting things. I remember the first time we went to their house, uh, we were just sitting, talking, having a great time, and uh, afternoon turned to evening, and evening turned to night, and sooner or later, Linda got to the Lynn and I got to the point where we couldn't see a thing in the house. And so we had to ask them to turn the lights on, and we all got a big laugh out of how weak the patillas were. <laughs> the other thing I remember is this. I remember one time watching the woman of the house write a check. How does a blind person write a check? Well, she, she took a check out of her checkbook, and she had a little piece of cardboard that exactly fit over that check, and then it had slots cut out where you would write in the to whom and the amount and, and your signature and so forth, okay? So she could do something that a sighted person could do with this aid. Now, I want to stop there, and before I go any further, I'm using this as an illustration. I'm not in any way comparing our dear friends to the Pharisees. Okay, but what she was using was counterfeit light, a way to get around having the true light. 
Let's take this a little further. When we see people who <clears throat> have a disability in sight doing something like that, our normal reaction is what heroic people they are. And they are. But I think you and I both know that if we ask them, would you rather have this aid for writing checks or would you rather have your sight, their answer would be immediate. If we take it just to the opposite reaction, what about you and me? At the same time, we see those folks doing these extraordinary things without sight. We think of ourselves as somehow weak because we need light to do what they can do without light. Again, we have to be careful that we don't worship some sort of anti-hero that Hollywood would produce, someone who can do things on their own and needs no one else's help. We also need to distinguish between weakness and dependence. We are intended to depend on light. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. He says down in verse 5 of chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, we need to be very careful of this counterfeit light. I want to close our discussion with one other example. I'm again tiptoeing around Matthew chapter 20 so we don't we save the detail of that for when we reach that point in our study of Matthew. But again, you'll remember that the owner of the vineyard has gone out during the day and, and hired laborers and he comes to this point at the end where he pays them. And when he pays them, those who have worked all of the day, in essence, appeal to the National Labor Relations Board and say, wait just a minute, this is unfair. You're paying them the same amount that you paid us and we did more work. According to worldly economic principles, I think they have a valid argument. But what does the owner of the vineyard say? It was mine. Can't I do with it what I want? By grabbing hold of this artificial knowledge that is the knowledge of the world, what those laborers missed was an exhibition of grace. Grace that doesn't depend on merit, the amount I worked, or demerit, the amount I didn't work. It is simply grace. And they missed it because their eyes were on the principles of the world. Bill Gothard, I'm sure some of you have uh, attended a Bill Gothard seminar, once said something that has stuck with me forever. And he said this, if you're going to make a decision, just think about what you think ought to be right. And then he said, carefully consider the possibility of doing the exact opposite.
Bill Gothard's point, and of course there are exceptions to this, was that you and I are so soaked in worldly things that we have picked up decision-making from the world instead of from the Word of God. And when we do, it can lead us to chaos. If the light that is in you is darkness... How great is the darkness. You and I have a major decision to make in our lives. Will we take the road that is compatible with the world or will we fall on our knees in dependence of the one who gives us light that we can receive through a clear eye? Pray for a clear eye. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just make us alert, Lord. Help us to always be watchful that the light that is in us is light and not darkness. We won't be able to tell. We pray for godly wisdom. We pray for time in your word. Thank you for the light that is in us. Thank you for Christ Jesus. Now, Lord, we also pray as uh, we come to this time of offering that we might glorify you with these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Covered in shame when he came.